On this episode, I continue this two-part series on whether blockchain will replace the internet, but this time diving into some of the factors that will either inhibit or slow the adoption of blockchain to becoming Web 3.0. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 22 of Arv's Notes. Now, this is part two of the will the will blockchain replace the internet mini series, if you will. So if you haven't seen part one, definitely go and watch that. That's episode 21 um, of this vlog series on YouTube, or if you're listening to the podcast of Arv's Notes uh, podcast, episode 21. And in episode 21, I went through, you know, what is the internet at its most fundamental, went through the evolution of the internet from web 1.0, 2.0, then kind of tackled the conversation about where it's going with web 3.0, the overlap between web 3.0 and what blockchain looks to solve, um, really laying the foundation for the, for the conclusion that, you know, in my perspective, uh, the blockchain could fundamentally replace the internet or be the next evolution of the internet. And that's a point of contention, which um, many of you listening to this will be listening and saying, well, yeah, it's an evolution because it's just a networking protocol of how people communicate and share information. Um, but ultimately, I believe it's two different technologies just in the way that they work. And so um, 100% blockchain could replace the internet. So in this episode, it's now about having the conversation and running through some, not all, but some of the barriers, the challenges that we'll face, that we will all face as we start to look at how you would even bring blockchain about replacing the internet. Because it's not as easy nor straightforward as some may think, and I know some of you are probably thinking it's gonna be incredibly complicated, and you will be 100% correct, because there are a number of factors that come into the adoption of any disruptive piece of technology. So firstly, how do you even approach this conversation? You know, when you look at the internet in the early days, I think it was a lot easier to start thinking about the internet at that point because nothing like the internet existed. So you were starting from a point of near zero competition. The internet was almost revolutionary and game-changing. And while many thought of it as a fad at that point in time in the early 90s, um, its power to be able to help with the instantaneous communication between individuals, the ability to, uh, to enable commerce and value exchange uh, was like nothing we've ever seen. And while large institutions that at that point in time owned a lot of that infrastructure uh, to allow for that value exchange. Um, they were going to lose a lot of value, so they pushed back, sure. Uh, but the value of the internet was just uh, too great in order to uh, be ignored. And obviously, we are where we are today, uh, but 25-plus years on, with it now maturing, I won't even say matured yet, but maturing uh, and being leveraged to create incredible amounts of value. You look at the stock market today, so many of those top 10 uh, stocks today are all tech stocks. So that's giving you a window as to just how much value it has created. 
But that there leads to effectively the first uh, big barrier of adoption of blockchain. You've got so many organizations, companies, uh, both software as a service, SaaS based, you look at all the top tech stocks like Amazon, like Facebook, like Google, who have built their businesses on top of the internet, who are the gatekeepers, they are the companies that have become those trust brokers, those gateways to access uh, many of the services and values that have been created on the internet now have a huge vested interest on the internet in its current form. And so there is step number one, how do you almost disrupt every single one of these companies that today has so much of everybody's attention uh, to be able to transition it to blockchain uh, if it was technically possible. This is very similar to the uh, challenge that was faced when you look at uh, what was faced by the internet with large companies back in the day. And so very similar in that regard. There's a lot of change management. There's a lot of disruption. There's a lot of ultimately pivoting, changing that would need to happen for blockchain to kind of replace the internet um, and would require effectively all these companies to innovate and disrupt themselves in order to adopt it. Whether or not they do that in the short term, probably not. Like realistically, if we look at the evolution of the internet and how long it took to get to that level of mass adoption, uh, let's timeline it quickly. The internet was first invented for military applications out of the US in the late 60s. So we're talking 68, 69, somewhere around that point. It started to evolve as a communications medium for um, the military at that point in time uh, to be able to send information far more efficiently than traditional means uh, and eventually became uh, open to effectively the general public as we started to innovate on top of it through the 80s. And then when we hit the 90s, we were graced by the first web browser. I believe, uh, I've said it in a previous episode, but I believe it is the Mosaic browser and then, of course, as Windows came about with Windows 95 and Internet Explorer, it kind of opened up the Internet to the masses. But if that happened in about 95, that we really got mass consumer adoption of the Internet, and not even adoption, but access, and then adoption going into the late 90s, you start to look at late 60s to late 90s, you're looking at a 30-year window that it took for that technology to mature, to evolve to a point where it got ready to be released. So the movement behind blockchain, it was already envisioned in the 90s around what blockchain could look like, but it wasn't really until the early 2000s that it actually became reality. With um, Now I'm going to pull this one up here. Like technologies created by Hal Finney, which is built on Bax Hashcash, a unique crypto cryptographic tokens that could only be used once, much like unspent transaction outputs in Bitcoin. Then the second one being by Nick Zabo uh, for BitGold in 2005. But then in 2008, and sorry, I got the date wrong for, for Bitcoin, but in 2008, uh, the now infamous Satoshi Nakamoto created Bitcoin. 
and then since then has been the foundations by which blockchain has really been brought to the world has demonstrated its value to the world and so we are now seeing it evolve and now people are understanding that the technology behind bitcoin is far more important than bitcoin itself and that there is far widespread use and effectively what the cypherpunks were all after and so while it may seem like for many of us today that this technology is so new we've only just heard about it it has been maturing in the background from its early stages of inception of the idea in the 90s through to its first appearance in the early 2000s and now through as it starts to mature an ecosystem starting to be built around it in the mid 2010s you know we've had a good almost 20 years now of this technology uh, gracing us even if it is behind the scenes and not within the mass, not within the masses. Now, why is that important to note? It's important because one, when we talk about the maturity of uh, various technologies, maturity of the idea that people will be accustomed to, blockchain has already gone through a large majority of that. Similar to what the internet did in the late 80s and then the early 90s, we've already gone through that with what's happened with Bitcoin in the early 2000s all the way through to now now it's about how do you gain access to the masses who understand the value of this technology um, in order to get it to that point of mass adoption and that's where the challenge now lies because the introduction of blockchain is going to fundamentally change the way that companies today operate it's going to fundamentally mean that all, all of these organizations need to reinvest massive amounts of dollars to be able to launch or transact or do commerce or whatever it may be on top of a blockchain network rather than an internet-based one. And so one, there's going to be a lot of pushback by people who are already invested in the technology heavily and don't want that to change or want to slow the change down so that they can adapt and shift. So that's one part. Second part is where technologies are today, that infrastructure for all of us to actually access uh, it. You know, we talked about Web 1.0, Web 2.0 uh, in the previous video. Um, and a big proponent of the internet becoming so powerful was in its evolution in Web 2.0 and the social web, which allowed for everyday people to gain access to many of the tools required to be able to benefit from that network. So stuff like web hosting tools, website creation tools, blogging tools, social networks that allow us to create and share content freely uh, amongst uh, the internet. Now, are those tools around to be able to do that with blockchain yet? Absolutely not. Um, but there are many technologies that are being built today, um, predominantly within the cryptocurrency space, but these cryptocurrencies solving real world challenges, like you start to see what Ethereum is doing, what Neo out of China was doing, what Power Ledger out of Western Australia um, is doing for power um, and energy. You start to look at how smart contracts are now starting to be leveraged. Uh, on top of blockchain. You're looking at banks adopting blockchain technology in order to improve their businesses. You're looking at nations building currencies on top of blockchain. You know, all the signs for that mass adoption are there, but we are yet to see a point where people, everyday people like you and me are going to be able to leverage it. So realistically, this mirrors Web 1.0, where we are today with uh, blockchain. 
But behind that is also how we access it. You know, we've built so many devices today on the internet based on IP, internet protocol, FTTP, file transfer, FTP, sorry, file transfer protocol, HTTP, uh, and other means. When you think about uh, your devices, like this one here, my MacBook, your phones, all of these have IP addressing. Each one has its own unique IP address for it to be able to access the internet, to communicate with it. There've been standards built around the internet for how we communicate on top of it so that people can make investments into these technologies knowing that they'll be able to tap into this network because they're following an agreed set of principles and guidelines set by uh, global bodies. And all of these elements of the internet have had to mature since the early 90s all the way through to where it is now and it is constantly evolving. And so how do you shift when you've had such maturity now in this internet space to something that's based on blockchain? I actually don't know. Uh, that's a very, very technical question and I'm not a techie to be able to answer that question. But as innovations in this space arise and help shift us to that point, um, I will definitely be sharing it on this podcast series. And so really when you start to look at, and the, start to look at it, one, it's people who have a vested interest in the internet today that will push back against it. It is all the current infrastructure, devices, uh, protocols that have been built on top of the internet and for the internet. How long will it take to actually shift that to uh, blockchain or to create a similar sort of maturity in that space as well? And then the third, of course, is user adoption. So the other big piece is blockchain as a movement, as a technology, as a social, I wouldn't call it stigma, but a social concept needs to be widely accepted and then adopted by the people. And so if you always have pushback because the internet pretty much does everything that blockchain could, I don't really care about privacy, whatever the, the reasons might be uh, that you want to default and stick with the internet, you know, people pushback, social pushback on the technology will also fuel one of the reasons why this technology may not go mainstream as quickly as many of us would like. So those are just a couple of reasons why um, it may not become Web 3.0, why Web 3.0, if it were to be blockchain, might be delayed in its mass adoption. Having said that, um, I'm no Nostradamus. Uh, I have zero idea as to what will happen uh, in three to five years time. I have a good idea, sorry, but I 100% don't know definitively what will happen. And so all that all of us can do is one, as we approach these junctions in technology adoption, that we all keep a level of open-mindedness about what it is, really base everything that we do on the merit of the technology, what it's delivering for us, and make that objective informed decision about then adopting it. I think too many of us can be very romantic and very emotionally attached to what we know. And while change is the only constant in our world, one thing that humans are really bad at is change. We always push against it. And so 
you know, the human condition itself will be one of the main factors as to why blockchain may be delayed in its mass introduction to market and potentially becoming Web 3.0. So that brings us to the end of this episode. Hopefully, I've covered some of the topics. I know it's not all of it. I haven't gone into a lot of detail behind a lot of it, but that was not the purpose of this uh, series. Really, the series was all about being able to broaden your perspective on one, the technology, but two, broaden your perspective as to what really drives the business adoption impact, the social adoption impact of technologies. Because very rarely do we have the conversation where those two very, very different disciplines meaningfully intersect and connect. Um, And as I've said in previous episodes, that is what this series is all about. If we can start to marry this business, this social conversation with technology, demystify technology so that the masses can understand it, um, I think that one, we'll all be better informed, better educated, and through that, be able to create greater change. So, Thank you so much for stopping in. Again, um, if you can, go to the YouTube channel, go onto your podcasting platform, hit that like button, hit that subscribe button. You know, getting this series out to the masses. One, I love the vanity metrics of subscribers. So please uh, give me that fuel to continue with this series. And as always, thank you so much for dropping in. And I can't wait to see you guys next time.